ready to lace up your boots, throw up your horns, and jump into the pit. Then let's stomp the stigmas of mental illness. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now, Will Foley and Timothy Patrick. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Above Ground Podcast. I am sitting across from my co-host, my ambassador of Stomp, Will Foley, who's about to uh, who's about to um, sing his song. He's uh, he's he's gonna tell a little bit about him. Um, we've we've done certain episodes where we have, um, I guess, let in some. Um, information let some information out i should say about each other um but we're gonna kind of um take the masks off today and 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 i guess get get vulnerable with it so um as the demons are tearing through the floorboards and echoes of ghosts overhead failure rings out in all the chords demons tearing through the floor Eggs of ghosts overhead Failure It rings out in all the cause Unable to breathe live for death And down on my knees begging for approval From a captor I can name This ain't fiction It's a real life horror show This barren man Reigns between the poles Another scene from the midnight movie of my life Unmask the villain I'm holding the knife Trolls have Taken up a residence Next to it just casting spells That blind my sight Says you getting at my confidence Held a gun, born no strength to find And down on my knees begging for approval From a captor I can Name. This ain't fiction It's a real life horror show This barren man Reigns between the poles Another 
the uh that's the start of memoir man that's the song i played uh that's kind of my story in a nutshell um yeah there's a lot of demons a lot of things that uh i've been forced to to look at and face and as as a 48 year old man it's time to clean out the closet and and let a lot of shit go and it took me a long time to write that um i could never really put into words exactly how i felt um i would gloss over it a lot there was a lot of stuff that i would just kind of play the shell game with you know i'd expose a little bit there'd be little truths here and there but um never could i actually put those words together and then one day I sat down and it just all kind of spilled out on the paper. Kind of like kind of like life does, man. You never know what life is going to throw at you. And you think that it's going to be one way and it turns out to not be that way and you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that that comes with with me, you know, there's a lot of baggage. There's this is a lot of baggage and bullshit that I've just not been able to to process properly. Uh, as a child of the '70s, when I should have probably been in therapy, there was no therapy. Um, I come from you know your prototypical broken home. Uh, my mother is severely mentally ill, and has been since. I was probably born, if not before. Uh, my parents split when I was five and a half. And in that five and a half years, I experienced a lot of chaos and and just, you know, stuff that normalizes when you're, when you survive. And 
my confidence is I don't I I portray like I have a lot of confidence, but I don't because I just don't. I never developed that confidence that I should have. Like I, my self doubt is is and not even to be self deprecating, man. It's just it's it just pervades everything. It just comes out. It's funny that <clears throat> that I'm hearing you say this because it's it's one of those um, uh, I I can't even think of the word, but it's one of those things that you 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 don't necessarily um, it, it's not in your face because and I'm I'm talking about like myself watching Will as I've seen him like throughout the years like and I've told this story to so many people we were at. Um, it was the, f I believe it was the first annual Schenectady Mental Health Awareness Fair. And they had these little um, uh, booths set up throughout the, um, the hallways. Some people were doing art and other people were doing, you know, whatever. And they had um, in the auditorium, maybe, I think it was, they had um, some spoken word. And whatever, and Will just brought his guitar and was like, "Yeah, like go in there." He was he was manning the table for AFSP, and he's like, "Hey, can you go in there and talk to somebody and see if there's any kind of schedule for times or when I can go?" And I went in there and spoke with uh, one of the people who was running it, and she said, "Yeah, whenever he's ready, you know, we're we're open right now. No one has offered to do anything." So. I went back to the table and, and he just like, all right, cool. He just, without like a blink of an eye, just grabs his guitar and he, he goes in and, and, you know, sets up, walks up on stage and just does his thing. And it's like to hear him say that he doesn't have any self-confidence. It's just, it's like, I think it's so hard to watch him do that and, and not, and not think that he doesn't have self-confidence because he just does it. And I'm like, man, this dude just does it and he gets up there and it's just like does his thing steps off stage and like goes about like he he wasn't even phased by it and it's just like for to me for anybody to watch it to know is just like like awe-inspiring and then to have him say like he doesn't have these the the self-confidence it's it's i guess it's something that i don't acknowledge because i don't see it that way so it's so it, you know i guess it's hard for me to to see that, to hear you say that, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we ever see other people the way they see themselves. Cause we don't, yeah. we don't, we don't live through any, we don't live behind anyone else's eyes. And I, music has been a shelter to me, but I also realize that it's not only been a shelter, it's been my muse, it's been my friend, but I've also abused it. Um, you know, music, I, you know, I, the truth is, is that music means more to me almost than, you know, 70% of anything. You know, my family, my friends, this podcast, um, music, and and being able to just express myself has is is are the things that keep me going and when you when you grow up and everything you see and watch and hear always comes with something else because what i i, I think 
in all the years that I've been living in this body that I didn't, as I, we say a lot, as I say a lot, excavate the wrecks. Um, I didn't acknowledge a lot of things because things to me were normal. Like it's normal to grow up where your mom, you know, throws plates and gets up on a table and, and, you know, screams and, and, and dances. And it's, it's normal to hide underneath your dining room table. It's, it's normal to, you know, to find out that, you know, she's been put, she's been put in a hospital and all of a sudden you're told at five and a half that you pack your clothes and don't take anything else and you're coming with me, which is what happened. Um, I almost drowned when I was four. Um, I haven't forgotten it. Like I can see it as clear as day, man. I can see me falling into the pool and I can see me slowly just drifting down. And it's crazy where it was because it was right at the dip of an in-ground pool where the, where the depth starts to go down. And my mother saved me, but I, I don't know truly if for a lot of years, I don't know if I wanted to have been saved, man. I, uh, I, I've held on to a lot of guilt and a lot of, a lot of anxiety. Um, and anxiety is a learned thing as much as it is, as much as it is anything else. And I can tell you this from being a parent, I have definitely, you know, I have, I have caused some of my kids anxiety for sure. And some of it may be hereditary. Um, I have caused, you know, I've, I've caused some pain, man. And in, in 2000, in two, at the end of 2012, I was in such a bad depression that I don't remember much about the first few years of my daughter's life. To be honest with you, I was, I was circling the drain and I found myself that winter, um, starting to plan the end of mine, um, I, I knew what I was going to, I, I knew what I wanted to do and I started to, to look at it in a realistic way. And I, I remember looking at myself in the mirror and saying that, you know, man, you're not good for anybody anymore. And it's time, it's time that you figure it out and you got to man up and take it, take yourself out. It's just, it's that simple because you're not going to be of any use to anybody. And there was life circumstances that were happening at that time. Um, and there was also that, that deep rooted depression. Um, depression is a shirt is a t-shirt to me. And it's a t-shirt that is very comfortable. Um, it's like that pair of jeans that you go to immediately in your drawer. And it's very easy. They're very easy to put on and you think you look good in them. But maybe you don't, and it's more of a comfort thing, you know? But you get comfortable, you get comfortable in your own depression. And I, I've said this in past episodes that I remember the day that the darkness penetrated me. And it, it, it only came to me in an insight in the last year and a half or so. I've, I've done some really deep diving um, about my journey 
and trying to figure out how I got here. And, and I don't want to mislead anybody, man. I wasn't like, I, I didn't get beat or anything. Like I, I, the part of it is part of the guilt is, is that you feel so shitty about yourself yet. You know, there's other people out there who feel who've endured way worse than you. And then you feel guilty about feeling that way because you're like, well, how could my life actually wasn't that bad. It just, but it's all in how you internalize everything, I suppose. And I was about nine years old. I had been living with my grandparents for about a few years. You were an only child too, correct? Yeah. I have a half brother. Um, right. I have a half brother who came right around that time. Um, and, um, I remember standing in, in our flat and I, I grew up in South Troy, uh, really the city of Troy, about two blocks right before the canal. And I remember looking out the window and it was, it was in that, in that dead time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It was like that first week of December, maybe when the, when the night is just, it gets dark at four thirty and it's ice cold because when we were kids, the winter was freezing. Like once the cold came in, the cold didn't leave, man, until late spring. It was just that type of weather. And I remember looking up in the sky and I remember just this, this thud, this, that just hit me. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was until many, many years later that it was like, it was real depression that had kind of permeated my skin and it, it worked its way into my bones. And you know, there's, I, I was, you know, I, unfortunately when you're a kid, you don't get many choices. So I didn't really have a, a normal quote unquote, what is normal? I don't know, but a normal childhood where I went home to parents and, and, you know, on the weekends I went out and played with my friends. No, I didn't. I got to go to my mother's house and, you know, that was never not chaotic it just it's it's been chaotic and it's still chaotic even to this day man it's into until this day and and i it's taken me a long time to not blame her for her illness because that's part of the reason why i i'm on the journey i'm on is because of that it's like i didn't i just didn't want to take all that on when when I was young and I tried to deflect it and I, I found ways of dealing with it. But what I didn't realize was, was, is that my home life during the week wasn't normal. Um, my dad and I have had a, you know, we have a good relationship, so to speak, but I will say this, man, I, I fought for so much attention that it became a fight that I just didn't want to take on anymore. And I'm grateful that in my teen years through, up till the time I graduated high school and I was literally on my own. Like I consider that I raised myself after 15 um, because my dad worked nights. Uh, my grandmother had fallen in the house and she had to go live someplace else. So I was literally in my house from night until morning every night by myself. Nobody knows this. Um, I, I did. I literally would, like, my dad would call me in the morning to make sure I was awake. For school. And you want to talk about, I put on a really brave face, and I learned 
how to I learned how to fight scratch and claw no matter what because it was, there was always that fear that you know what if somebody knocks on the door what happens if something happens and I I just I I learned something that most kids shouldn't have to learn but I had to become an adult very young and I didn't realize how that I didn't even like to call it trauma when I with working with my last therapist my therapist even told me he's like you just can't look at this as trauma like why can't you like it disgusts you it's just like why can't you and it just because you feel weak you feel like you normalize things to survive and your survival mechanisms become really, really dis, like they become really disengaged in, in in terms. And I can I can tell you this, man. There's like even now I, I've gotten a lot better. I've gotten a lot better. Like through even through my twenties, I was still having a lot of problems. Um, when I moved into my first apartment, like I would actually my my door was in the very front of my apartment and I had enough space between that door and the wall that if I put my guitar case lengthwise in front of the door, the door couldn't open. And I would literally do that every night. I would make sure that nobody could get in. I would spend, I would literally check the front door of my house three or four times just to make sure it was locked. I would, and, and I would wake up in the middle of the night. Um, my dad was, was an alcoholic. He's been sober now for many years. Uh, I'm glad that he, he was, he sobered up and, and things, but it took, it took him getting very, very sick and a doctor telling him that if he didn't, he'd be dead, but he did. But I, I will say that it, there was a lot of just fighting for attention. And then the problem with the attention was that it was, it was, very yin and yang when he was sober the attention was good and depending on the moods flip it was bad and during my during my teenage years i was happy to just be alone and i still like being alone i i being alone is is something that i've i'm very used to and even when i'm in a crowded room i feel alone a lot of times and it's you know, it is what it is, man. You learn, you learn a lot about yourself. Do you think <clears throat> going back a little bit to, uh, the, when your, uh, therapist had said, you know, about calling it trauma and you kind of like fought it, do you, do you think that like the, I guess in general, the stigma of, of mental health illness was, um, was a factor? I, there's no, well, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you, when, you know, yeah, there's a definite stigma there, man. There's, there's the shame. There's the shame. There's the shame I felt as a kid. How do you explain to your friends that your mom's, you know, your mom is sick. You don't, you can't, and, and you don't look at it as a sickness because this is affecting you. So you're mad. You're pissed off. It's like, it, it creates... It, it just creates right. so you much. Don't know. You, don't, you, you, you don't know. And you don't understand the sickness part. You don't know. You don't. you don't know the sickness part. But I, so, and this is a story that's literally happened in the last couple of years. And, and Tim's sort of, Tim knows this. Um, I've shared some stuff with Tim. Um, my mom's hospitalized every, you know, 
year, year two, um, depending on how how her schizoaffective disorder works and how she's doing. And and um, I recently in the last two years, um, I've gotten a lot cl not closer to her, but I've I've been able to put some stuff aside to say, OK, I need to understand this woman so I can understand myself so I can understand the other things. And I will say that she told me that when my parents got divorced and after her, I, I think this was before her first suicide attempt, um, that she had planned on kidnapping me. And at, at 47 years, because this was, this was like within the last two years that she's told me that, but at, at, in, in your forties, how do you like wrap you even now? How do you wrap your head around it? I, I was in, it's, it's like, and, but, but then you look at it and you're like, okay, would I have gone? Probably not. Like you go through all this, like it, and it just brings up all this stuff, man. There's just, it's like it, it and, and until you, and until you get rid of that and you process that it's. And it's hard to process, man. It's it's hard to process. And I've buried, I've buried shit. I've buried it in booze. I've buried it in drugs. I've buried it in in different things, and it, it never goes away. So then, you have you you're at some at some it's point like you're your forced bones. to. It's in your body, right? You it's know? just like your marrow. It becomes part of your marrow. It and it just does. That's a good way to. It, yeah. it becomes part of your marrow, and and it does it in in half the time. You don't think that there's anything wrong you know you don't think that there's anything wrong and and you know i i just remember like like in like perfect time now the the graduates of 2020 didn't get to graduate okay i i was my a senior in high school and i wasn't going to go to my graduation because i could have cared less and then all of a sudden i decided that i was going to care and i remember Asking my dad if he was going to go to my graduation. He's like, why am I going to go to your graduation? He's like, you don't care. And I was thinking of my, and then it was really like, just because I didn't care doesn't mean that you're not supposed to care. Like, and you realize that there's this, and, and codependency is a really hard thing, man. And I didn't realize this until I had finally moved out of the house and that codependency of, of, of the relationship where I was, you know, unfortunately, man, you know, I was the, I was the psychologist, you know, in my, in my early, like late double digits or early double digits, early teen years where, you know, it was like, depending on the mood, what am I getting today? So you learn how to put up defenses and then you learn how to, and in, and if you don't let it go right then and there and just let it kind of just seep in without processing it. It would just, it would literally freeze you. And I couldn't afford to be froze at that time. I just moved on. I just kept going. I just kept going until one day you, you find that you're just, you, you're just severely depressed. And then I didn't really get a clinical diagnosis of depression until 2006. And, um, and that was actually after our, and and Tim Tim is actually part of this story. Um, Tim and I uh, have have worked together in the past, and and it is not a 
a very positive uh, work environment. And it can be very, very, very tough. And the people that work there make it tough. It's changed a lot probably in the years, I would think. But there was an incident where um, when I used to go out to work every day, I would cry every day. I would literally cry. And Tim is a witness to this. Tim has witnessed this many times that I would literally cry. And one day I was so frustrated and pissed off that, that Tim had said something to me on the workroom floor. And I turned around and I said, well, I said, if I had a notebook, your name would be on the top of the list. <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah. And that day, about an hour and a half after I said that, I was pulled off of my route and taken to an office and interrogated to see if I actually had the ways and means and a list. Um, and no, I don't have a list. I never did have a list. I was, but I was very, very, I was just very depressed and being in that environment, and being in that environment just... didn't help. And that, that's the thing about like depression and, and suicide is that suicide is the end of depression it's like the literal end of the book and the reason it is is because there is no way for you to there's no way for you to end the story except to just end the story hmm. and the pitiful thing is is that now at my age i look back in my 20s um I was in a band called Freak Nation. We had a, a record out in 1995. We put out an album called Achilles Mojo Fix. And it's it's hard to believe that this year is 25 years. And I, I've been, you know, I've been going through some of that history a little bit and trying to figure out things because there are things about yourself that you don't know or don't learn until much later. But you realize that you had reactions to things and you didn't speak up when you should have and you did things that you're not quite that I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of. Um, but, uh, on the end of that record is a song called just don't get it. And in my twenties, I would scream out that I'll kill myself tonight. And in that song, in that song. Yeah. Oh, it was just about, that. yeah, it was about empty, empty clubs and stuff. And you're just like, why the fuck am I doing it? Why? Why? I might as well just go kill myself. But I did not, it, and that was a very ignorant way to look at things. But then now, 25 years later, you're like, here I am in my 20s thinking that, and, and I'll be honest with you, man, the thought, the ideation never goes away. No medicine is going to take it away. No, no therapy is going to take it away. And, and no joy is going to take it away. No sadness is going to take it away. It's just something that's there. And when you get to the point of saying that it's time to go, man, and you have the power to do that, you start to look at things in a lot different, in a lot different of a light. And it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to talk about in a, in a way, it is, because it almost seems, it, it doesn't seem, it seems disingenuous in a way, maybe, 
and I don't know if it's if it seems disingenuous to me because that's not me. That's but it is me. It is me. And yeah, but you you know it it like not only will I just use the phrase like you've come a long way, but you've learned. You know what I mean. So it's not like uh, you're you're definitely not moving backwards, and you're you know you're definitely not in the same spot. You know. No, I'm not in the same spot. But I'll tell you the truth. I feel like um. I, there's just times where I just feel like I'm just mailing it in and faking it, man. And the faking it until you make it works to a certain point. And then you start to, you know, you start to feel like you're really just faking it at times. Do you feel that you can mute the ideations? Oh yeah. Yeah. I can mute them. I can, I can mute them to the point where they don't come and I don't know if it's, and, and truthfully, I don't know if that's like just me saying, oh, well, that's just, I could just do that, you know, you, you in, in a flippant way. And and it's not a flippant thing and it's not, mm. you know what I mean? And, it, and it's, and no, you know, experiencing what we've experienced and, and, and watching a close friend of ours pass away like a little over a year ago and stuff by by ending his life and and you there was actually a part of me where I was wondering if it should have been me you know what I mean and and especially when when we had his funeral I I was looking at people that I was wondering if they were they were instead of him they were hoping it was me in a way where which I'm sure nobody was. Which I'm sure nobody was. But that's my, that's my, you know, that's my, and it, and, and it sounds so, and it, it sounds like what makes me so great that people would care, but it's just, it it's weird, man. It's just, it's a, it's a. Cognitive distortion. It's a, yeah, dude, the cognitive distortion's all like death metaled out, man. It's just like so brash and, you know. Extreme, yeah. It's just, you know. Takes over. But yeah, I, I, I understand some of that for sure. Yeah, I, you know, I understand myself a lot more than I did 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And what year did you start? Um, volunteering. I didn't start volunteering until 2017. I, after, after my crisis passed and I, I found some bit of normal, I started to play music again. But even those first year and a half was really tough because I literally would cancel gigs at the last minute because I would get so paranoid and just self, like just self, I, my doubt was just on 11 at that point. And I was so afraid of people seeing me as a, as a fraud and like seeing through the, seeing through the, the, you know, the screen, man. But, you know, I, I did get through, I I've gotten through that. I've gotten through that, but you know, even, even doing the podcast, man, you know, there's a lot of doubt in me. Cause it's just like, okay, it's like, what do we like? It's, it's that doubt of, I don't know if, if, if what I'm doing is, is helping anybody, you know, you go through that, that, that co cognitive distortion, you know, is, is, is always there. Yeah. It's a dark cloud that follows you for sure.
Yeah, because those are things that either you, I guess, learned them early in life and, and then you started to believe them. And it was just like a constant voice that was, you know, reiterating these things. And, you know, and this is like, I, I think about it because I've, I've, therapy is, is a wonderful thing. But I, again, when a therapist tells you, you need to just constantly look at this one scene over and over and over again and process it and process it and process it, it doesn't help because you don't get to look at the whole. Like, you're only taking one snippet. One snippet does not make of, you know, one piece of the puzzle does not make the puzzle. It's it's putting the whole puzzle together. And, I, and I've thought about this, man. During my years, it was like I would hear good things, but then, you know, the next day I would hear all the negative about me. And you, and then it's, you, you lose grip of what's really negative, not negative, but you lose grip of who you really are because you don't really get a chance to know who you really are because you think someone's who telling you, are. you who right you someone's are. telling you who you are and 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 it's it's been even it's hard being a parent is hard okay being a parent is hard but when you don't deal with your own <laughs> issues it's way harder man and it it's again you know last week in the episode we talked about the four noble truths man and suffering and it's like you suffer more when you can't you can't look at the you can't look at the things that you've done and not question them man and i you know i you know i've i've made a lot of mistakes in my life man and i you know i there's probably people i've treated really shitty because of my own cognitive distortions and yeah but and, we all have you know i think we've all been there and and again i think just the fact that you're learning and you're 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 making you know you're you're tuning that guitar up and you're tweaking it and putting fresh strings on it and yeah it's this is all part of it you know this is all part of it i mean that's you know that was the whole reason why i wrote memoir was just because it was easy it, it was a very it was hard because it took me a long time to get to that point but had i not had i not been doing the self-evaluation and the and the stuff, then I wouldn't have been able to write that. I wouldn't have been able to write that, you know, 20 years ago, man. Right. Actually, 20 years ago, dude, I wouldn't have had... I, I wasn't a very... I was... In my Freak Nation years, I wasn't a very confident person. And I've always fought this. I've always fought this. I want to be this, but I'm really this. And I... And it was this. I can't be both. Like... And, and it's funny because I had a... I had a really... Uh, I had... A girlfriend in high school who was about three, four years younger than me. I was 17. She was young. Yes. Mom loved me. Her mom loved me. And it was, and she was, and she's awesome. Like the, she was, she was awesome. But she always used to, she had this nickname for me. She used to call me the sleaze because I really wanted to be Dave, like I wanted to be a rock and roll singer. Like I wanted to, but I wasn't that. Like I was actually like, you know, I, I, I was actually like a nice little boy in, in, in reality. And it's funny when people can see you see, really see you, right? but yet you can't see yourself. And it's, it's that, it was that balance of, you know, tipping the scales and, and that's what, you know, that's why it was like, I, I've never lived up to, I've never felt like I lived up to my own height, but then you, but 
but is your hype really you? It's not. It's 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 no, all this it's, fictitious stuff that you think is And it's it's the advertising, it's the media, it's all that stuff that is is trying to um you know portray you domesticate you i guess you could say you know well I, you know i think i was trying to undomesticate myself while i was really i but and the truth is i've always wanted a place to call home right and i've never had a place to call home i've never felt home is anything that's stable i've never felt stability even being in places for 15 20 years i'm not stable I don't feel it. I don't feel stability because it only takes, all it takes is one thing to that stability to just be like Jenga and go, you know, it just takes that one, that one pull of the, of the wrong Jenga, man. And yep. there goes the tower. And I, I, I've lived in fear of the tower always crashing down and you know, I, I self-confidence is not, and I don't know why, like, I don't know why I haven't gotten through that yet, but it's just, it's just not there. It's as they say, the, <clears throat> the anticipation of death is worse than death itself. You know, it just remind me of that. Like you're waiting for that Jenga right. to fall. But you know what? The fact is, is that when you touch the darkness, you almost welcome death. I'm not scared of dying. I'm scared of living. And that I think is the the thing is that I'm not scared of dying. Like I'm I'm really not. I it's it's I'm scared of living. I'm scared of what I don't do, but yet I can't seem to get out of my own way to do it. <laughs> Which you know what I'm yeah, it's I like know, you're stuck in the mud, man. Yeah. It's and it's yeah. And, it, and it's a constant, and this is a constant battle. It's and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. That's for sure. Yeah. It's very exhausting. Yep. And you know, it is what it is, man. What um for the uh now for the um AFSP. What you just recently got into a board member position, correct? Yeah, I was uh, asked to join the board at the beginning of 2019. So I just had my first year. I was in Colorado in January for our leadership conference. Uh, I got to go there this year. And so perfect example. I literally, we got done with that conference. I was, the day I arrived to that conference... My flight out was awesome. I met amazing people. I got there. And the next day when the conference started, because I went out a day early, stayed a day late, I started to feel this this cloud just coming in. And I, I really wanted to network with people and stuff. But then Will kicked in. And <laughs> I and it, it, I did. It, I did and it, well, and you know, it's not Will. It's Billy. Billy kicked in. And I just literally kind of balled myself into a cocoon. And yeah, I talked to people and stuff, but I was not, I was not functioning. And I, you know, and unfortunately I got to Colorado and I got a little too high <laughs> in the Rocky Mountains. I, dude, look, I, I'm going to be honest. You know what I mean? I got a little too high and I stayed a little too high. And then the crash on the end of that conference 
was literally coming upstairs to my hotel room, turning on ESPN for X Games and finding out that Kobe Bryant had just died in a helicopter crash. And for some reason, that affected me deeply that day. And I'm not an L.A. Laker fan. I'm not really a big, huge basketball fan. But something happened. Some wheel turned in my head, and I just spent the next hour in the bathroom on the floor crying. And maybe it was just... You know, I, I don't know what it was, man, but I just, it, it was like, I wanted this to be like, I had so many expectations for myself and I didn't feel I lived up to any of them. Well, then that's, you know, going back to the, the, the four noble truth, you right. know, I mean, same so, thing. Right. So you're setting it up when you, you right. know, you know, and instead of just rolling with it, I just, you know, I just, I set myself up for, I, you know, I set myself up for the, the crash, man. And it was, it was, it, it took me probably a month or so, maybe a little bit longer to, to really come out of that. Cause I was pretty bummed out when I got back and it, you know, I don't know what I was thinking I was going to find. I don't know what I was thinking I was going to do, man. I, you know, and we set ourselves up for these yeah. things. Yeah. I don't, uh, yeah, I think we do. Most of us do. I don't know if it's, if it's the Western culture or what, but it, I think it all comes down to whether you feel that you deserve something. And I don't, and I, in, in, in truth, I never felt I deserved anything. And it, and, and it's, tr you know what I mean? It really does go back to all of it. Like it's, it's, it's been part of the puzzle. Like it's almost, you know, it's almost like it's played out in all my, in, in every segment of my life, it's kind of played out where you don't feel like you deserve to be happy. You don't feel like you deserve, you're deserving of love. You don't feel like you're deserving of anybody listening to you because it never seems like anybody does at times. And, you know, so I feel like, I feel like you have, you, you have all the puzzle pieces, whether you realize it or not, but you just have yet to fill in those last couple pieces to make the puzzle. Right. Right. And, it, and you know what? It's that those are the puzzle pieces that I know are somewhere on the floor. They're in the big shag carpet. You just can't you're just not finding them, you know, and it's and but it's those puzzle pieces that, you know, are there that when you put the puzzle together creates that big, beautiful monument of, you know, of whatever. <laughs> or it just puts together something. Or it just puts together something, yeah. you know? Maybe, maybe again, maybe Let's that's what it is. expectations a little <laughs> Yeah, right? <laughs> right, well, that's that's the thing. No, yeah, I know what you mean. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's, you know, life is, life is a full contact sport. Life is a full contact sport. It is, and it's, and you can, it's like roller derby, man. You know, you could be the jammer. And and get all the points, but you can also get run over if you you know if you let yourself. What um, I guess what would be one thing that you would like um, listeners to take away from this? I just want people to know that we all have something to offer. We may not feel like we do. And we may not feel worthy to share it. We may not feel love. But we are all 
worthy of something. And what we are worthy of is our own self-love. Because self-love is, is the hardest love to attain. You can think you have self-love and be pompous and arrogant and, and all-knowing, all-seeing. But the truth is that's really just a mask of pain. And in your pain is your power. And that's what we, I think that that's really what we're doing is using our pain to power the generator, man. And that, that's, and, and I think that that's, I think that that is a noble pursuit. I agree. With, without end, without any glorious death, you know what I mean? And, and, and I think that it's, it's in our pursuit of our own truths that, you know, we, we have something to offer and we all have something to offer and we all have to feel that we do. I like that. Do you have a uh, favorite word or a least favorite word? Well, my favorite word is fuck because it's got so many connotations, so many, you can use it in so many fantastic ways, but you can also use it in pretty, some, some pretty bad ways. <laughs> It is. It's really, it's really a fun word to use. <laughs> My least favorite word, you know, I don't, I don't, I've never, I've never thought about a least favorite word. Wow, you stumped me. Right. I don't really have, I don't really have a least favorite word, man. Is there a, uh, is there a band that you never had the chance to see live but you always wanted to see them live uh i've never seen bad company with paul rogers so i would like to see bad uh, bad company with paul rogers um you know and i i never saw chris cornell solo you know even though he was here i mean i i was fortunate enough to see soundgarden yeah. once but i never got to see chris cornell live um on his own but a lot of the bands that i saw i mean i saw a lot of bands in the 80s 90s and you know it's bad you get to be a certain age and you stop going to shows and like it's you know it's kind of like i don't know <laughs> i don't know now if there was one <clears throat> one thing that you could do for mental health, what would it be? There's one thing that I could do for mental health. There's one thing that I could do for mental health is that people find the strength to ask for help when they can. And if, and give everybody a platform that is, that fits, that fits what they need to be able to access that help. And and by that I mean if if you need something you know truthfully I and and th this is the answer. I would have I would hope in mental for your own mental health that you have one struggle buddy. One. Everyone. You need everyone needs some everybody needs a struggle buddy. And that is the one thing that I wish for everybody's, that's the one thing I hope 
not wish, I hope for everyone's mental health out there that you have one person that you can speak to honestly and have the strength to turn to. And I think if I had had the strength to turn to people in an honest way and and knew really what I was looking at, maybe I would have asked for help sooner. But I I can't, you can't, that's, you know, I I can should all over myself, but I should have, you know, but I, but you can't, you can't go back, man. Right. And quite honestly, and quite honestly, I wouldn't. If somebody said, said, somebody said you can have everything you want if you go back, I wouldn't go back because I would not want to have to go through the struggles that I've gone through because I, there's a lot of things, a lot of positives in my life now that I wouldn't have. And everything's different, man, if you go back, you know? So second guessing isn't going to help anything. Good point. Good point. I like that. And I think that we, I think Will himself, by telling his his story and, um, you know, having this platform to do so is, is actually, um, I, I feel like he's, he's, he's working towards his, his one thing that he would like to see happen with mental health. You know, he's telling his story and I think that telling your story creates hope for another person to to tell their story and to make it easier to talk about mental health in general. That's what we need. This needs to be a real convo, man. And that's not just a tagline from AFSP. I mean... No, I agree. It's it's true. We need real conversation about real stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, we talk about, you know, kidney issues or, you know, somebody has diabetes or, you know, they broke their ankle. Yeah. But we can't talk about being sad. We can't talk about being fearful. We can't talk about anxiety. And that that really needs to change. And I think it, it is changing. And I think the next generation or two, it will change a lot because they're a lot more open than we are. But it does still take it does still take somebody listening. And that's va- true. And, and validating it, man. And that's really that's really all you can do for somebody is you got to hold space. And when uh, Sandra Goldmere, our, our area director, was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, she said holding space, and that's that's a great that's a great way to look at it, man. And that's just all you can hope is that you have somebody to hold space for you. They don't have to say anything; they can just be with you in the uncomfortable silence, if so be. I like it. I like it. That's Will Foley's memoir, ladies and gentlemen. And I hope that uh, that it did it, it did what it did for me to other people that listened, and um, maybe encourage them also to to hold space for somebody or or you know to have a conversation either with themselves. Or with a, with a friend to reach out, or be an ear for somebody that, you know, may need it. So on that note, we hope to um, see you again next time, right? You got it. Be well. Be safe. Be above.
Above Ground Podcast is in no way intended to be a substitute for professional help in any manner or degree. We are not therapists, doctors, or professionals in the medical field. These are the opinions and experiences of two individuals just like you, our peers, who live with mental illness and all of its conditions. If you or anyone you know are experiencing a mental health crisis, please go to your nearest emergency room, call 911, or you can call the National Suicide Hotline 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Be well, be safe, be above.